precious name of Jesus, in that precious resurrection name of Jesus together, we just say, we're so grateful. You turn on the light and the darkness and you abolish the shadows, those shadows of fear and doubt, those shadows of shame and guilt. You turn on the light, giving us truth with which to know who you are, what it is that stands in the way in our heart of fully receiving and responding to who you are. You deal with it, God, and you do it with grace. You do it with kindness. You do it because you love us at the core. Thank you, Jesus. As we've been proclaiming this today in song, our desire is that it be true in our hearts, that it, it work itself out in our day-to-day stuff, that you are the Jesus of our day-to-day. Bring that to life in us even this day. But in tomorrow, should you give us tomorrow and the next day and the next day, may who you are, Jesus, be more and more alive in us, more in charge of us, making us aware of that which you're giving us for your name's sake, for our need and our good and the benefit of others. Be doing that, Jesus. We proclaim these things for they are true. We desire them to be really true in us. We're trusting you for that, Jesus, today and tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, Harlan? Yeah. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. It's great to be worshiping together with you and for the team that's been leading us into it. The desire is that the Spirit of God's encouraging you in your heart for wherever you are in your journey. Maybe you're here and you're just kind of kicking the tires on this whole God thing. Maybe you're online or you're watching and if you are, welcome. But you're also exploring, you're wondering, who is God? and What does it mean to me to know God? What's the difference it makes? Wherever you are in your journey, a committed, passionate follower of Jesus, just know that for us here at Heartland, the call of God on us is to say yes to a Jesus-first life. That in every aspect of our life, who Jesus is and his perspective and what he has to say about it and how he himself conducted himself, those are the things we want to be true of us, most true of us. And so we get to do that together with each other. We get to help each other do that. And he does it so practically, so personally, he's offering himself to us. And today, may that offering grow in each of us as we open up our hearts to what he has to offer us today about himself. I'm Craig Cheney. I'm just joining the worship team to say welcome to you into what God has for you today and into this gathering. Welcome here publicly. You guys ventured out in the rain. Good to be here. Liquid sunshine's awesome, and it's abundant usually this time of the year, but it's not much fun hanging out in. So glad you're in here, and if you're online, you've already avoided most likely um, the rain, but hopefully you've gathered with friends, you've gathered with others, and this time is a time to encounter Jesus for who he is and what he has to offer, and we get to do that together, face-to-face or online, either way. Great to be together. You know, one of the ways Heartland manifests this Jesus First life is by serving and by giving. Giving is one of those choices we make to recognize that what we have, despite how hard we've worked for it, 
is really not ours alone. It's a gift. It's something God has given as an extension of His generosity toward us, and we get to be generous toward others. And we give out of that place. Many of you are faithful givers right here at Heartland, and we want to encourage you, be faithful in your giving. Financially, you can do that online. You can give financially here in our green boxes. You can give any number of ways. We just want to encourage you to take advantage of that. One of the ways we get to give and serve is through the mission organizations we're a part of. Mission Adelante is one of those, and they have a thrift store called Adelante Thrift. And we get the opportunity throughout the year to bring items from our homes, usable, clean, good items that can be used in other people's homes, and they would gain access to those items through Adelante Thrift. Adelante Thrift is a store available to anyone who wants to go in and find items at discount that are very practical and usable for the people who get them. If you've not been up to Adelante Thrift, look it up, go up, visit, see what goes on there, because what's going on there is a story is going on there. You know how the things you and I have end up with a story attached to them? Think about the things you may offer to Adelante Thrift where the story of your things gets to continue in the life of someone else. Imagine who may need that or who may find it and it's just what they needed in the moment they needed it and your story and their story connect and the story continues with those things. That our things could be part of a deeper story is part of the excitement of giving on a day like next Sunday. Next Sunday is a pickup day for the items that you've set aside for Adelante Thrift. Box it, bag it, tag it so we know what the contents are, and then bring it next Sunday to the south end of the campus here. There'll be a drive-through lane. You can have the items just taken from your car and brought in. If you want to leave it behind your car, and we don't have the same blessing next Sunday of rain that we have today, you're welcome to just leave them behind your car and they'll get picked up. But if it's raining, drop by that south entrance, they'll pick them up, they'll take them from you and put them to good use. Again, think about the story of the items God's prepared you for to pass on to others and that story continuing in their homes, in their places. It's part of what we get to do as Heartlanders. We get to serve and we get to give. And as we serve and give, we actually exhibit a Jesus first life. It's who Jesus was. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for others. So we get to do that on his behalf. Today, we're continuing in our series with Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai. And it's this story of being between the promises of God and the experience of those promises being fulfilled. It's this in-between space, which typically is for us the largest space, as it was for them. And as we walk in this journey of these between spaces, the question is, who is God and how does he reveal himself to us? What do we do with him when he does? So Brad Hernan's going to come this morning. We can welcome him as he comes to continue us in this journey, Land Between. Brad, come on up, man. Well, how are we today, Harlan? Good? Yeah, those of you watching online, we're glad to get to be with you as well. 
And I know that there's a lot of you who are here today or just over the past few weeks that you have been a part of our online audience, but as the restrictions have been loosening, as life has become a little bit normal, the way that we used to, you've been taking big steps and coming back and worshiping here on Sundays in person, and it is just so good to get to see your faces and to get to hear your voices as we worship together. And some of you who are watching online, you're taking steps too. Like Craig said, we're hearing that you're inviting friends and neighbors to watch this service with you right where you are because the amazing thing is that we can be the church in our homes, but we don't have to be the church on our own. And there is such a richness when we get to connect with one another and just do this together. And so forever, uh, if you're sharing the service with others or watching with others, we're so glad to get to be with you. I got to be with a lot of you yesterday, over 60 Heartland volunteers, right, in our south parking lot down there. And this was our uh, Harvester's Mobile Food Pantry, and where so many of you gave up your Saturday mornings. And uh, right before this event began, we gathered out there and we prayed for the over 140 cars that had already been lined up by by 8 a.m. in order to come through and receive a, a trunk full of food. And we prayed for every single car and the, and the over almost 200 families that were represented by those cars as we just got to give that food away to make a difference in those families' lives this month so that they don't have to fear any sort of food security. We could come alongside them. And because you did that, Heartland, there are people in our community who know that God is for them because you are for them. And I just love that because that's what a Jesus first people is. That's what the church is. We aren't a building that we come to. We aren't a service that we watch online. We aren't something we check off on a box. This isn't about us. We are a movement that you and I get to be a part of, a Jesus first movement to help people find or maybe be found by Jesus and to help one another follow after him. So I just love that. I love being a part of this. My name is Brad. If we haven't met, I'm still kind of new around here. And so if you're kind of new around here, we're in this together. Uh, So love to meet you after the service or uh, online, shoot me an email. But um, any, any road trippers here? Anyone just love a good road trip? You get your family in the car, you just go see some cool sights. Yes, that's us. That's our family. Uh, we love it. We love going and seeing cool places. It doesn't matter how far away it is. Uh, we love catching up with friends and family across the country and just getting to go after um, some of those experiences together. But if you've ever taken a long road trip and if you ever have had kind of little ones with you, then you, you know it's only a matter of time during that trip that you begin to hear that question that comes from the back seat. And I think you probably know what that question is. What is it? Are we there yet? Yes, are we there yet? You've heard that question. Usually, uh, maybe you've said that question, but usually it comes from a young, young person's voice in the back seat. And I said that question a lot because I was the youngest of four kids. So in our old station wagon, I always had the, the middle seat feet on the hump spot in our station wagon. And, uh, and it was just that time when the anticipation or the excitement of what you were looking forward to, of the place that you were going to, was just too much to contain. And so you said, are we there yet? Or when it was when just the discomfort of being squeezed in those cramped car spaces against your other siblings became too much. And so you find yourself saying and wondering, are we there yet? And what I venture to think is probably true of all of us here is that we have all had are we there yet moments in our lives, right? That we have are we there yet moments in our careers. We have are we there yet moments in our families and in our relationships. We have are we there yet moments in our education or maybe in our finances. We even have are are we there yet moments in our relationship with God. Because God is a God who loves making promises, but sometimes those promises don't always happen in the timing and in the way in which we wish 
that they would. And if you identify with any of that, there's a verse that I want to start us off with. This is a great launching point for us this morning. And it comes out of 2 Peter, kind of deep in the New Testament. And in it, Peter writes this verse. And I want to, I want to um, we're a lively audience this morning, so let's read this together. Can we do that? Yeah. And then if you're watching online, um, you read along with us too. Yeah, and the people with you in the room, okay? So uh, let's read this together. Here we go. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. And we love this verse because Peter is actually writing, uh, this is a few, few decades after Jesus had left. And, and Jesus had given this promise, probably one of the biggest promises in scripture that he was leaving, but he was going to come back again. And it had been a few decades and people were beginning to wonder if he meant that, if that was really going to happen. They began to wonder and talk and like, what, what's up? And so Peter writes this verse and it spreads throughout churches everywhere and kind of reorients, reorients their understanding of time and kind of broadens their perspective to God's perspective and reminds them that God is doing big things still. And so he says, the Lord is not slow. And what we learn from this is a pretty big principle that we need to hold on to today. And the principle is that God is not slow in keeping his promises. We need to know that. God is not slow in keeping his promises, but he's also not in a hurry. He's not slow in keeping his promises, but he's also not in a hurry. And we need to remember this. We need to hear this. We really kind of need to hold on to this and anchor our relationship and our lives with God in this because we don't really like that God's not in a hurry because we love being in a hurry. We love it when things are in a hurry for us. We like our fast food to be fast. We like our next day deliveries to come the next day. In fact, during COVID, has anyone else like learned the first name of their delivery drivers? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, we have a whole new set of friendships and relationships because of all the things that I'm ordering that have been arriving the next day. We like our pizzas ready in 30 minutes or less. We like sports teams to turn around a, a losing streak before it gets to 10 games. We want things to happen fast. We want things in our life to happen fast, but that's not how life works. That's definitely not how God works because God knows, Peter knew, God knows that he does his best work in the in-between, between the promises and the promised land. When we aren't where we were, but we aren't yet where we thought we were gonna be. When where we're going just doesn't seem to quite get here fast enough, that's when God actually does some of his best God-like work in our lives. And so what do we do when, when God's timing outlasts our patience? What do we do when God's timing just outlasts our patience? And so we've been in this series, as Craig said, uh, where we've been looking at a couple of characters, Abraham and Sarah. Now, they lived of, of many thousands of years probably before Peter did. Um, but in their story, as we've been learning in the series, the journey between the promises and the promised land, I bet Abraham and Sarah wished that they had Peter's verse to know and to hold on to and to be reminded of. And we've been learning from them, and uh, they're deep, their story is found deep in the Old Testament, all the way in the book of Genesis. And just to kind of catch us up, if you're jumping in with us, at the beginning of their story, God shows up. Abraham and Sarah are about 76 years old. Uh, their names are actually Abram and Sarai at this point. Later on in the story, those names would change to Abraham and Sarah. And God says, hey, hey, Abram and Sarai, um, first of all, I'm God. <laughs> Good to meet you. This is the first time God shows up in their life. And he says, I want you to leave where you're living which is kind of over on the way east side of the Middle East. He said, I want you to leave there and I want you to go to a place that you've never been to. In fact, I'm gonna tell you about it on the way. I'm gonna show it to you. And, and if you leave everything, 
And if you go to this place, well, then I promise you, I'm going to give you that land. And, and I'm going to make your names great. And in, in fact, Abraham, you're going to be the father of an entire nation. Your descendants will be, will be too many to count. There will be more than the stars in the sky and more than the sand on the beach. I promise you of this, which also means I'm going to give you a child of your own. Even though you're 76 years old, you're going to have a child. And so now in Genesis 16, where we jump in, it's about 10 years later. They're now about 86 years old. And they're living in the land of Canaan that God had promised them, but, but there's no child. There's no, no sign of a child. And we find them in probably one of the biggest are we there yet moments of their entire lives. And so this is how the passage reads. Genesis 16 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children, so go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, and he gave her to her husband to be his wife. And Abram slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Ten years. Ten years since God had made this promise. And when you've been waiting for something that significant for that long, like Sarah had, you start thinking things in that moment, right? You start questioning things and doubting things. And imagine what kind of things Sarah, Sarah must have been kind of thinking to herself. She might have, been, she might have gotten to a point after 10 years of just saying, hey, did, did that really happen? Did God really make that promise? Or did God really mean what I, what I thought he meant? Or maybe... Did God change his mind? Did I do something to offend God? Did, did he decide, you know what, I'm not going to go forward with this and just decide not to tell me? Or maybe, maybe it was too good to be true to begin with. All my friends told me it was too good to be true. They said, Sarah, 76-year-olds don't have babies. That's not how this works. And now I'm 86. And if it doesn't work for 76-year-olds, why would it work for an 86-year-old? She begins to question but she's not just doubting herself or doubting God. You hear in those verses, she actually blames God. She says, the Lord has kept me from having a child. And you hear the bitterness and the anger that, that, that I can't blame her for feeling. But what she does with that anger is that she and Abraham concoct this plan. They kind of find a way to shortcut their way to God's promises. And they're not, they're not concocting a plan as much as they are just borrowing a custom of the day. You see, there was a custom back then in, in this time that if for whatever reason, if a wife was unable to have a child with her husband, well, then it was allowed for the husband to sleep with one of the servants of the household as kind of a way to extend the family line. Now, hopefully you don't need me to tell you that that's not what God had in mind. That's not where he was going with this. But they find this shortcut and they take the shortcut but we can't judge them because it's not like Abram and, and Abraham and Sarah are the only ones who have ever taken shortcuts, you know? And I'm not just talking about, you know, the ones, the shortcuts that we love to kind of make fun of, like Millie Vanilli, lip syncing their way to a Grammy, or Lori Laughlin from Full House and the other celebrities, celebrities paying their kids' ways into uh, Ivy League colleges, taking that shortcut, or the Houston Astros, 
We don't need to be those people to know something about shortcuts. You and I have, have, have experience with those too. Maybe we've taken them, maybe we've been tempted by them. In our careers where there's a position that we really want that's down the road, but we want to get there faster, and so maybe some of the steps that we take to get there aren't ones that we're proud of. Or maybe the work that we know needs to be done is required, but we just kind of do just, just enough to get by. Or in our relationships, and when you've been waiting for the one that you believe God might have for you. But the years are coming, they're going, and you think, well, maybe this is the last train to leave the station. And it's not that bad. And so you settle for, for someone that is not what God's best is for you. Or you take shortcut, shortcuts in your relationships, like avoiding the hard truths, or not talking about the can conflict that's happened between you and them, just, just to keep the peace. Shortcut after shortcut after shortcut. And, and every time we do that, we learn the same lesson, which is, which is that shortcuts have long consequences. Shortcuts have long consequences. Now, even as I say that, it just, does that not sound like something your grandma used to tell you all the time? Like it just sounds like, you know, all that list, I don't know if you had this, but when you were growing up, things that your mom or your grandparents would tell you every time you messed up and they would just have that, that, Shortcuts have long consequences, Brad. You know, or haste makes waste. Or to have a friend, you gotta be a friend. Or, or every pot has its lid. I still have no idea what that means. It just sounds like one of those things that we should know better, right? Shortcuts have long consequences. And you would think that Abraham and Sarah would know this too, but this isn't the first shortcut that shows up in Genesis either. In fact, the whole way that this passage is written, it's meant to trigger the memory of something that we would have read a few chapters before this in Genesis 3. And there's another shortcut that happened. You might call it the first shortcut. Because in that story, Genesis 3, there was a garden and Adam and Eve were in the garden. And God had given them some promises and he said, but I don't want you to eat from that tree. And then along comes the serpent and the serpent comes up to Eve and says, did God, did God really say? And anytime we hear those four words, that's a pause moment. That's a timeout. Because whenever we hear the words, did God really say? That's usually danger, danger, danger ahead. Anytime we begin to question God's words to us, that's usually the beginning of a shortcut that's gonna have long consequences. And so Eve takes the fruit and she gives the fruits to Adam and he eats. And so now it's a few pages later in the story and we see Abraham and Sarah and they're probably thinking to themselves, did, did God really say? And so Eve takes Hagar and, he get, and she gives Hagar to Abraham and he eats. Shortcuts have long consequences. So how do you and I avoid taking those shortcuts? How do we, when we find ourselves in the moments that Abraham and Sarah did, how do we avoid those shortcuts? Even when we're feeling low, even when we're beginning to doubt and question God like we might in those seasons, how do we not go down the road of the shortcuts that'll lead to long consequences? And there's a clue. There's actually a clue that shows up in verse two. And the clue is right here. It says, now Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, I am not saying that you should not listen to the voice of your spouse in the midst of major decisions. Are we clear? So don't go home and tell your spouse that pastor said you don't have to listen to what they have to say. Not what I'm saying. 
Listening to your spouse is always going to be the right and good thing, especially in the midst of major decisions. Unless if what your spouse is telling you is different from God's words to you, okay? You should always listen to your spouse unless what they're telling you, unless what anyone is telling you is different from the words of God. See, what's interesting about this verse is whose voice Abram didn't listen to. He didn't listen to the voice of God. He listened to the voice of Sarai, his wife, but not the voice of God. And that's remarkable because you go back through the story, you reread it, you find the number of times that Abraham talked to, heard from God. He's one of the rare people in the Bible that actually like heard the audible voice of God, actually had experience with the physical presence of God. And yet here in one of the biggest moments of his life, no God. And it's not because God wasn't talking. It's because Abram wasn't listening. Because he was listening to somebody else. See, he, he turned down the voice of God and turned up the voice of Sarah. And because of that, he took this shortcut. And so what does that what does that mean for us? Well, I think that's the key for you and I unlocking the power of God's promises in our lives. And it happens like this. Now, I, I, I have to give you a little warning. I um, was not good at math. Any good math people here? Okay, we got a little bit more. First service, no math people. So um, I don't know what it is about it. But uh, I was not very good at math. My dad, phenomenal at math. He was an engineer. He helped me through every single math class. Um, I know a little bit, and there's just a little bit of math needed for this, this equation that actually comes up out of this passage that teaches us um, how to wait on God. And it goes, it goes like this. If we take God's promises, so for Abraham and Sarah, it was the promise that he was going to give them a child, that he was going to give them a land, that he was going to give them a great name. For you and I, just take any number of the promises that God gives us in Scripture, that Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That, that back in the Old Testament, there was another guy, Joshua. God promised him, I have, I have plans for you. I know the plans that I have for you. Take any of the other promises, like that, that you're forgiven, that God's mercies are new every morning, or that Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. Anyone, any one of God's promises. If we take God's promises and we add prayer, and if that word just feels a little bit too big, too churchy, there's a little bit of baggage on that word for you, just think about creating space in your life in your heart to share with God where you are, what you're feeling, what you're wanting, what you're angry about, and just, and just saying those things to God, just creating space for that conversation with God. We take God's promises, we add prayer. Well, then the result is that we can patiently trust God's plans. Patiently trust God's plans. Now, on the flip side, there's another equation. If we take God's promises, and we subtract, we remove prayer, no prayer, no space to talk to God, no space to share with him what you're feeling, no space for him to talk to us. Well, then the result is that we impatiently pursue our plans. And I want you to look at this. I want you to write it down. If you're watching online, maybe screenshot this. If you're here in the room, take a picture of it. Because this is something that we need to know. This is the key to unlocking the power of God's promises in our lives. Because my hunch is that, that, that you and I probably have experience with one or both of these equations in some way. That there's some time in your life when God had given you a promise and, he, and you were able to patiently trust and wait on it. And the reason is because you had space in your life to talk to God. That you prayed. That you told him what you were thinking and feeling. And it might not have been that pretty even. You were at a low moment, but you weren't afraid to tell God what it was. And the words that you shared with God might not be ones that you're even allowed to say in church, but you said them to God and that's okay because he can take it. 
but because you did, you were able to trust. On the other hand, there's probably times in your life, and I know in mine, when we take out that space. We don't pray. We turn up the anxiety of our lives. We turn up the voices of other people telling us the things that we want to hear. And because of that, we turn down the voice of God. And every single time, that's going to lead us to impatiently pursue our plans like Abraham and Sarah did. And the thing is, is that our plans, hear this, our plans will never accomplish the promises of God in our life like his plans do. Our plans will never, ever accomplish the promises of God in our life the way that his plans do. And so what sort of damage in your life could have been avoided if you had just created some space in your heart and in your day to talk to God about it? What sort of dead ends have you found yourself in? What sort of shortcuts have you taken and the consequences that you faced afterward if you could have just talked to God? Now, we can't undo those things in our lives, but we can learn from them. And I think Abram and Sarai, I think they learned from this moment down the road. I think they probably did. I think that you and I can too. And so uh, you can't undo them, but what maybe what right now, what are the promises that you're having trouble holding on to? What are the shortcuts that you're considering taking? And in fact, before we leave here this morning, we're gonna have some space just to be able to lean into that and create some space for you and I to, to turn up the voice of God in our life. And I wish that Sarah, I think Sarah wished that she probably had taken that step too. Because here's what happens next in the story. It says that when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Sarah. So then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. So may the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think. So then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So Hagar fled from Sarai. Do you hear the blaming in Sarah's words? Do you hear the defensiveness in Abraham's? I mean, they were at a low, low point. But what about Hagar? I mean, Hagar did not ask to be a part of this. And in fact, Hagar is barely even, in Sarah's eyes, she's barely even a person. She's just an object. Did you notice that Sarah can't even bear to say Hagar's name? Every time Sarah talks about Hagar, she just calls Hagar the servant, the slave, your slave, Abram. To Sarah, Hagar is just an, a foreigner, just an outsider, just the means through which to shortcut God's promises in her life. And now because of that, Hagar is carrying a child that she didn't ask for. She's dealing with the consequences of the shortcut that was taken. But even though Abram and Sarah didn't see Hagar for who she was, God did. Hagar is in a low moment of her own and she runs out into the wilderness. And it says in verse seven, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, why have you come from, where have you come from? And where are you going? Hold on to that. I love that the angel Lord finds Sarah. And in these two questions, he locates her, not just physically, but I think emotionally, spiritually. Where have you come from and where are you going? 
And she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her, which is probably not something Hagar wanted to hear. Go, go back? You want me to go back? And we find out later there was a reason that God was up to something. You go back and then it says, the angel added, and I will increase your descendants so much. That child that you didn't ask for, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And we've heard that before. That was the same promise that God gave Abraham. And now it's a promise for Hagar. And Hagar's response is in verse 13, she says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son that she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And that word Ishmael, you know what that means? It means God hears. God hears. See, because she, when she was in the wilderness, she created space. And because she did, God heard her. That's what happens when we pray. And every time someone would call her son's name, she would be reminded of, of that, that God hears. Every time she, she yelled after her son, talked to him, cheered for him, used his name, it was a reminder that her God is a God who hears. And see, this is, this is such a pivotal moment in the story because in this part of the story, it no longer becomes just about Abraham and Sarah. It becomes about Hagar too. And see, because of that, it becomes about you and me and every single person on this planet too. That now the promises of God, the story of God is not just about the insiders, it's about the outsiders. It's about the closest in and the furthest out. It's about the foreigners. It's about those, those who, who are the chosen ones and those who are the forgotten ones, the ones whose names would become great and the one whose names couldn't even be spoken by the ones who were great. This becomes a story about you and me and every single person in our life, that God finds you, that God hears you, that God sees you, and that God has a promise for you that captures the immense essence of his love and purpose that he has for you. And so my prayer today, I actually have two prayers for us today. You see, there's some of us who are here today and as we're hearing the story about these three people, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, you kind of find yourself identifying a little bit with Abraham and Sarah. That there's some, some failures that you know that lurk in your rear view mirror. Or maybe there's some shortcuts that are on the table right now for you that you're wrestling with and praying through. Or maybe some consequences that you're dealing with from shortcuts that you've taken in your life. And if that's you, what, what you need to hear today, what God wants you to hear is that your failures do not frustrate the faithfulness of God. That there is hope. That God did not give up on Abram and Sarah. Their story was not over at this point. Sure, it was a low point for them. They made some wrong mistakes, but the story kept going. And in fact, in 14 years, when they're 100 years old, God would give them that child and he would give them the very child that he had in mind. He would do it in the way in which he wanted and planned to make it happen. 14 years later, he would give them Isaac 14 years at 100 years old, as if to say you thought having a baby at 76 was going to be impossible, there's going to be no doubt that the only reason this child has happened is because I made it happen. That's my faithfulness to you, Abram and Sarah. And I think they lived their lives differently with greater confidence and patience in the power and the promises of God from that point forward. But then there's some of us who maybe it's not so much the failures that you identify with, it's being forgotten. 
that you, like Hagar, kind of find yourself in the wilderness and wondering, where am I? Where am I going? Where have I come from? How did I even get here? That you feel like an outsider. When we hear people talk about grace, you're like, that's great for them, not for me. You hear about God's promises and plans, you're like, sure, I'm, I'm grateful for whoever kind of got to be a part of that, but that's never going to be me. And what God wants you to hear this morning is that if you feel forgotten, God's faithfulness finds you. That right now, if you're watching online and you're feeling forgotten by those around you, God sees you. God hears you. And here at Heartland, we do too. That we are seeing and hearing one another and locating one another in the promises of God. And we have just been on this journey through this series of living in the in-between seasons individually and as a church and being reminded of the future that God has for us. And it has just been hearing the stories of the things that you're wrestling with, the journeys that, that you're in. I was a few weeks ago, I was just, I was having a little bit of a low moment, trusting some of God's promises and planning and timing on things. And I remember sharing that with one of you, a Heartlander, not, no one on our staff. And in that moment, as I shared that with this person, she prayed for me. She turned up the voice of God in my life. When I didn't feel like I could pray, she prayed on my behalf. She said, I got you on this. And that's why this is so important. That's why having people that you watch these services with is so important because we turn up the voices of God in one another's lives. We fight for God's voice so that we can cling to his promises and get to where he's taking us. And so that person who prayed for me afterwards, she sent me an email and said, hey, I want you to listen to this song. And I wasn't going to listen to it because I figured it was probably some cheesy Christian church song. And it was about God, but I have had that song on repeat. And I asked our team this morning, hey, can we use that song just to create some space for people, whether they feel like failures or whether they feel forgotten, to find themselves in the promises of God this morning? That these lyrics can just meet you right where you are. And that maybe this helps you consider some of the promises of God or some of the shortcuts you're considering taking or maybe this song just brings you to your knees or up to your feet in worship. But as they sing this song, God sees you and God hears you. There's a story we're gonna tell one day. It's a story you're gonna tell. And it's gonna be a story of God's faithfulness and the challenge for us is can we live today confident of God's faithfulness tomorrow. There's a way that I want to invite you, a way that we can help turn one another's voice up in our lives, turn up the voice of God through his word in our life. In a couple weeks, we're going to be starting a new Tuesday night course. It's happening over Zoom. It's called Navigating the Story of God, where we take God's story that we read in scripture and we take our stories and we realize that actually, you know what? God's writing his story through your story and mine. And it gives us confidence in the waiting. And so I want to encourage you, jump in with us on this. We'll have a little bit of time in scripture, a little bit of teaching, and then we'll break into some smaller groups just for discussions, just to carve out some space to help one another turn up God's voice and God's words in our lives. You can find out all the information online. You can register for it. It starts the week, first week of June. So don't miss out on this opportunity. Um, also, uh, next week, we're going to continue this series, this, this story of Abraham and Sarah. And I got to be honest, the passage that we're going into is one of my least favorite passages in all of scripture. And I'm going to be preaching on that next week. So I hope to see you then.